0: Yeah, my parents were really open. They were for, I mean, it was a Catholic household, so there was plenty of guilt and shame around anyway, maybe. And so they were sort of compensating for that by their <laughs> openness. I want to hear you scream.
1: It seems to be a sudden general explosion of mass homicide.
2: Hi, I'm Candy, the final girl.
1: And I'm Erica Wright. This is the House That Screams Horror Podcast. Our special guest this evening is Justin Beam from Reverend Entertainment and the Justin Beam Radio Hour Podcasts. I've known Justin for about eight years now, and his passion for the horror genre is unsurpassed. He's written for magazines such as Fangoria, Famous Monsters of Filmland, uh, Horror Hound, and more. He's also responsible for the excellent special features on many uh, films released by Shout! Factories and for other companies. Uh, welcome to the show, Justin.
0: Well, oh, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure. It's been a long time. It's been, geez, when's the last time we were face to face?
1: Oh man, probably um, probably at the Stephen King uh, yeah. thing in Omaha. It was probably
0: the last time we like saw each other. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. Well, thanks yeah. again, guys.
2: Superbly jealous of you guys for
0: that. It was was amazing. (laughs) So great. So great. I bet
1: Um, it was. Yeah. So my first question uh, for you is tell us about your first introduction to the horror genre. Like what got you interested in this? What was the first horror film you watched or the first horror novel you read?
0: Oh, I think it, it goes back for me to the Crestwood House monster books. They have an orange back cover. I don't know if you remember them from the library.
1: Oh, okay. Yes.
0: So each one focuses on a different monster and it has, but it, it crosses studio boundaries. So it's not just like universal stuff. If it's, if it talks about Wolfman, you're also getting hammer films and all that. Anyway, it began with me checking these books out from my little library here in town. And so I was reading about the monsters and their mythology before I had seen any of the movies. And then um, once VHS started popping up everywhere, these little mom and pop shops all around town, then I started renting stuff like a fiend. And then I discovered Fangoria magazine through a buddy of mine and it was on, on and on from there. I, King Kong actually was one of the very first that I ever saw King Kong, Frankenstein, um, in terms of contemporary, more contemporary stuff. It was Halloween two. That was kind of my entry, my on-ramp to more contemporary stuff, and so it's it started pretty young, oddly enough, with these books about the movies.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, I think a lot that- of got into it, you know, at a young age, or at least were fascinated by it. Um, people who listen to the show know that I wasn't really allowed to get into it, but you know, because my parents wanted to protect me from trash. <laughs>
0: I remember you saying that, and it's yeah. like, well, of course you're going to fall in love with it. Of course, that's what your passion is going to become.
2: Exactly. The There's no
0: quicker way for a parent to ensure. Yeah. Right?
2: I have three kids, and um, my, my way of raising them was how my mother did with me. I had an opposite um, experience than Erica. My mother was a big horror fan, and she introduced me at a way young age. Of course, that made me such a Romero fan. Um, Worship at the altar at Romero, but um, so she was showing me this show when I was six. But when I raised my kids, and two of them are adults now, um, I have a fourteen-year-old, um, as well. But like, I just showed them the thing, um, for the first time last night. But I believe, like, you know, you should let your kids experience and have, you know, like these long, long boundaries, because then they're going to rebel, and you know, more experience them through their friends. And you know, I, I think it's better, like, if you guide them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents were really open. They were for, I mean, it was a Catholic household, so there was plenty of guilt and shame around anyway, maybe. And so they were sort of compensating for that by their openness. But on, I, I know, honestly, I found this thing. This is so crazy that we're talking about this. I was at my parents' house yesterday. This is like show and tell for me here, I guess. I found my third grade journal, and which was a strange thing to find. It was like a daily thing we had to do in class. And in it is a drawing of King Kong. From after I saw King Kong 76 the first time. And I put Superman in there to save the day, by the way. I don't know why I felt that was necessary. But anyway, in here, I also mention in one of these, it's like, well, we just got a VCR. And I say the first movies that we rented, I'm like the first ones that we saw. And I've always said it was Greystoke, Lord of the Jungle was one of them. And that's the first one I mentioned. But then in third grade, also Revenge of the Nerds. That was the second movie that I noted in this journal. I'm in third grade watching Revenge of the Nerds. I don't know if that's, I don't know. I don't know what that did to me. But anyway, that was my early experience with pretty open parents. And so if if nothing else, I'm grateful to them for their openness to this stuff.
2: I definitely believe that that's something that's important. And we have a lot of helicopter parents in this day and age, um, you know, trying to protect their kids. And I understand like with sort of online things, but, you know, I feel like, um, you should introduce your kids to this stuff Mm -hmm. and maybe they'll like it maybe they won't but you know you're not like keeping them from this stuff and um you know it's a better way for them to grow and maybe find the things they like and maybe maybe not you know Mm -hmm. but that's just my opinion
1: yeah so i know candy you had a question
2: i'm always fascinated about uh writing um so i wanted to ask you know um how'd you break into writing for such prestigious you know, horror publications like Fangoria, Famous Monsters of Filmland, which, you know, is super important to me because it influenced a lot of my favorite writers and, and horror creators. But, you know, um, how did that happen and um, how do you feel about it?
0: I grew up reading all that stuff. I had, it was like contraband. A friend of mine at school, Matt was his name, and his parents were, for as open as mine were, his were twice as cool because he got to subscribe to Fango. And so he would bring him into school and pass him to me in the hallway. Like I'd go to his locker and he'd be like handing it off. Like, here's the secret bundle. Like, just keep it under your arm, hide it under your jacket kind of a thing. But it was really exciting for me from a really early age. And then my other buddy, Al, his brother was an avid comic book and magazine film magazine collector. And so he that's where the famous monsters came into play and all that. So I, I, I was I've been writing all my life and I wrote for some newspapers in Illinois and some music regional music magazines and stuff and then eventually I just there was a transition happening at Fangoria at the time in the editor chair. It was going from Tony and no one knew who was going to be next, but I caught wind that it was going to be Chris Alexander and so I wrote to Chris and I I had, I had been working on without any end game this ridiculously like obese article on The Night of the Demons franchise. It was huge. It was 1 through 3 and I an insane, oh I love those movies too. An insane number of people involved with this thing. I'm not kidding. I think the end piece was something like 12 pages long. And I didn't I didn't think it would go anywhere at the time. I was just like, well maybe I can use little bits and pieces of this for something to send out to publishers or something. And in the end, so I found out Chris was going to be possibly taking the helm at Fango. And so I sent him a message. I'm like, hey, would you be interested in maybe bringing me on board? And he's like, well, let me let the dust settle. And when it does, then I'll I'll reach back out and then we can talk. And I honestly never thought that I would really hear back on it because... I mean, writing for Fangoria was the only real dream that I had for my writing, period. I mean, I knew I wasn't a Stephen King. I knew I wasn't like that. It was, uh, I love documentary. I love feature investigative writing. And there aren't that many avenues in the genre for that. There's none bigger than Fangoria, especially at that time. So then, true to his word, Chris did write back to me sometime later and said, what have you got? And I sent him this ridiculous Night of the Demons article and he read it and he came back. He's like, oh, man, yeah, let's do something. This thing is huge. We can't do anything with this monstrosity. But he said, what what else have you got? And I had to think fast because I didn't have anything else. I had just been I didn't think that I would need anything else. So what I sent him was a list of articles I would like to write. And none of which were even started yet. He's like, all right, great. I'll take this one, this one and this one. I'm like, holy shit. So I had to like put the pedal to the metal and quickly dive into this world. And frankly, that was a great lesson in doing that for me, because over time, that's kind of been how I've made a lot of the transitions I have. It's just diving in, just going for it without filter. And because I will be the first to second guess myself and then never get anything done If I don't just sort of kick myself in the ass and do it. And so I'm eternally grateful to Chris for the support that he showed me. And he continues to this day. I mean, he's helped me out on some special feature stuff up in Canada. And he now runs, he basically, along with, um, well, he basically runs with Charlie Band Full Moon Studios and he also publishes Delirium magazine out of there, too, that I've done a little bit of writing for here and there. So I can't shower Chris with enough praise. I mean, he's he's the the engine that pushed all of this forward. And that's really where it began. So that's a, this is these are going to be long winded answers. And I'm sorry for that, no, but it's
2: it's a this long an interview. story. It's about you.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> it's, a, it's an honor. It's a real honor. Famous monsters to that point that came Years later I was I had already been writing for Fango and I was at we were at Comic Con actually in San Diego. We had Fangoria had a booth one year and I was there for that year. And the editor at that time, publisher actually, of Famous Monsters pulled me aside. He had read some of my stuff, I guess, and he asked if I would be interested in writing for them as well. And I was like, Well, isn't that like crossing the streams? I mean, like this is <laughs> what you can don't cross the streams, don't <laughs> that, because there's this built-in assumption, and this is one of the great things about the genre and the fans and those who are creating in this space. Those boundaries really don't exist. We think they do, but they don't. It really is a community. And yeah, there's a little bit of competitive nature to this stuff. But he re- he he was respectful about it. He's like, I understand you've been doing this thing with Fango for a long time. If you're comfortable with this, I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot. Just here and there, like whatever you're cool with. I approached Chris and said, is it okay if I do that? And Chris is like, man, go for it. There's no way I could give you enough work to keep you or something. I mean, so go. And so then I started doing that, and then it kept growing from there. But to this to this day, and I don't do – I haven't had time for a lot of writing recently, but anytime I'm in a magazine, I love running to the newsstand to pick it up and just <laughs> cherishing – and every cover story I have – that I got for any of these magazines. I, I buy extra copies and I tear the cover off and I frame them. So they're in my hallway, like the cover stories that I oh. got. Yeah. Well, you got to treasure that stuff. I mean, you really have to hold on to that. And, uh, and, and it's a good, it's, um, it's kind of a, I don't know if confidence boost is it, or at least a reminder of, you know, if, if you push, if I push myself, then we can do this not to slow down or give up. At any time, you know what I mean. So anyway, that's that hallway serves as that reminder for me.
2: That's so interesting to hear. Um, you know, I've always I've always been a writer myself, so I love hearing those kind of stories. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, I was trying to be Stephen King, um, so, but of course, my journalism classes that I had to take along the way was like, you know, now in my 40s, I'm just now breaking into to doing like horror entertainment, and I'm like could I get published in Pangoria? So it's really good to hear this this kind of stuff, like, yeah, don't give up. And I think that's a really good message to get out there.
0: Yeah, right. One of the great things now, back then it didn't really exist, but now in almost any magazine you pick up, you're going to see the editor's contact email probably in there, usually with their editorial to introduce the magazine. And I know all of them. I know everyone who's running all these different magazines, Room Org and everybody. And I mean – they're all so open because they just want good content they aren't married to a core group of people who only can write for them they're all very open to expansion and very welcoming so my best advice for anyone looking to get into that stuff look at that email buy it buy a copy know what you're looking to write for so your pitches are appropriate because obviously like room org is more of a cultural magazine than fangoria is so you want your pitches to be appropriate just go for it. Just write to the editor, pro- do it professionally. Don't gush, don't fan out, but be professional and include a like a, a polished sample with that. You'll be amazed at the response you can probably get. If nothing else, you get some valuable feedback maybe from them on some advice. Hey, maybe next time you can try this, or maybe you can try that. But the, there's so many doors open at this point with so many avenues of media out there, as a writer it's an exciting time and 40 doesn't mean a damn thing it's all about your heart and about your drive right Right. and yeah and and just getting out there and 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 doing it because you you're you're never going to see a place you never travel to so you have to give it a try
2: yeah those are such inspiring words and I, i know a lot of um you know horror writers and horror fans need to hear this information before i pass it back to erica i have one request I would love to read your Night of the Demons. Um,
0: <laughs> you know what's funny? I'll send it to you. I'll definitely I, send it to I, you. I, and I'm, it's a, a- I'm a
2: huge fan. Um, we just covered it on the show um, for the second time, and it's, like, my favorite favorite. So I'm like, I have to read
0: this. <laughs> oh, I'll be happy to send it to you. What's funny is great. here's two things. Well, first, Shout Factory then did it in Night of the Demons disc years later. And I've That's been producing. Oh, there you go. Okay. I was so heartbroken on that because I was working on a bunch of other titles at the time and I didn't get offered that one, but I had the treasure trove on night of the demon stuff. I mean, I had, oh, it's crazy. And even Kevin Tenney, the director, I love Kevin to death of the first one, Kevin Tenney. And I had done a film festival with him. I hosted one in Indiana some years ago and it was him. It was like the United Nations of B movie cinema in this little Indiana town. It was Kevin Tenney, Jim Wynorski, um, Tony Randall. I can't remember everybody that was there, but it was nuts. It was like the B-movie world symposium. And Kevin played a rough cut of this movie, The Cellar, that he made. C-E-L-L-A-R, which is a movie I love, too. It's like this kind of dusty Western monster thing. Uh, involving in, well it's it's a cool story but he told the story of it that this is the only print of this that exists because the producers took it and mutated it and what was released on video wasn't the movie that was meant to be seen and he but he played it for the people at this film festival who were lucky enough to see this movie as it was originally intended. all this leads to the point and it has nothing to fucking do with me. Vinegar syndrome who I adore and have done a few things with mostly on the editing side they just released the seller. On Blu-ray with both versions of the film So you can finally see it as it's meant to be seen So Night of the Demons fans Kevin Tenney fans If you're a Witchboard fan or whatever Check this release of the Cellar out That just came out and support the hell out of Vinegar Syndrome Because they're doing God's work or Satan's work Or whatever you want to (laughs) say
1: So, yeah, that kind of like leads into my next question, um, which is about the the various special features you've produced for these uh, film re-releases on Blu-ray through Shout Factory and other companies. Um, How did you become involved with this?
0: That is a a really it's kind of a crazy roundabout path that led me to that. I was um, writing for Fangoria led me to meeting Malik Akkad. Malik Akkad is the son of Mustafa Akkad. Uh, Mustafa, if you know, the Mustafa Akkad produced the Halloween films, right? Mm-hmm. So Malik now helms the Halloween franchise world. He, uh, he runs Trankus and Trankus International Films. And I was interviewing Malik. I was going to do an article that I never actually finished on the Halloween 4 through 6 story arc. And so I was interviewing Malik and we just hit it off huge. And then we got to talking, I don't, long story short... We ended up co-founding a nonprofit together, and then I became a vice president at the company. So my life became Halloween, and I was still writing for the magazines and doing this other stuff. But I produced the Halloween four and five Blu-rays back in I don't know 2009 or something like that. Did new commentaries on them with Dwight Little and Don Shanks and this other stuff. Chose the did the cover art work with Anchor Bay and all this, and that led to me getting uh it was michael Felsher of red shirt pictures who's a total legend in the special features game and michael reached out to me asking if i could do a commentary on if i could put together a commentary on town that dreaded sundown for shout factory oh, i love that movie too so so good memories here's childhood memories that i look back on i my babysitter left the tv on when I would be over there, she thought I was taking a nap. I'd wake up and she just had the TV on. And for whatever reason, all my memories of that television set, I remember the the room was this brown shag carpet. It was one of those monstrous box TVs that were in the console thing. And I remember afternoon sun coming in the window in this overly hot room day after day, and it seemed like there was always something that I shouldn't be seeing on. So there was this white gorilla movie. There was Town That Dreaded Sundown. There was The Elephant Man, all this stuff that I was exposed to at way too young an age. So I love Town of the Dreaded Sundown. Great movie. And I did this commentary with a historian where I spoke to the movie. He spoke to the real case. And it became a really special, like a unique commentary. And from that, then Shop Factory contacted me and reached out and asked if I wanted to start doing more for them. And they had a list of films at the time. They're like, what on this list would you like to work on? And I think the first one that I pointed to I saw on the list was Tank Girl. Because I'm friends with Rachel, and Rachel and I, at that point, the director, were just starting to talk about doing a book on her, which we're still eternally talking about. And so I kind of had the keys, like the Night of the Demons thing, to the Tank Girl Kingdom. And then I, I knew John Carpenter through the Halloween connection. So I did uh, Prince of Darkness stuff, and it just went on from there. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I talked. To John for that one and then Alice Cooper for that one as well and that was the first time that I met Alice in person and we've over the years then become buddies and now he's most recently for me did the Friday the 13th box set for Shout Factory where I did we I did this whole thing on Man Behind the Mask and his different songs in Jason Lives which kind of make that movie like in my opinion and I'm, I'm sitting and um, it's so cute like when Alice comes around my son I'll take him to go see him At his concerts and so we have all these pictures of my little guy and alice and like alice holding his stuffed dog and it's so silly but anyway that's how that all happened and then eventually that led to after years of doing this stuff uh paramount reaching out to me and they asked if i would be interested in coming on board there and so now i'm i'm doing sort of tag team mostly shout factory and paramount a few things on the side for like vinegar syndrome and some others but it's it's almost all paramount Shout factory at this point which has been insane and incredible and continues to be like the luckiest i feel like the luckiest person the most undeserving person on the planet to be doing this stuff it's incredible it's so awesome that's
2: fascinating wow
1: Yeah, and I have to say I love the the depth uh, you know the, of work that you put into these special features. Like I also have the town that dreaded sundown uh, Blu-ray from uh, Shout Factory, mm-hmm. and um, my most recent uh, one that I, I bought, which you worked on, was the uh, Event Horizon special edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also talked about that last week when uh, on our podcast. So um, yeah, the, like that 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 was like just mind-blowing all the um it was was great seeing all those special features and i didn't know you know all of that stuff until i watched your documentaries and interviews you put with that so um definitely can't recommend that you know highly enough to people um i do want to ask you if you have a particular favorite film that you worked on um now that you've been producing these these special features and special uh, edition blu-rays
0: Oh, man, I don't want to give a cop out. I don't want this to come off like a cop out answer, but there are so many. Each one is so different. Like speaking to Event Horizon, for example, we were hunting and hunting for that cut footage that everyone's been wanting forever. Everyone, And I can't tell you, I mean, I went to great lengths trying to get that, including like through to getting from different people from the production videotapes having couriers go and pick them up from them. Cause they're like, Oh, I think I have some dailies or something on a videotape. And so I was grabbing anything from anyone I could and bring them in and we were scanning them and it just, it, it doesn't exist. And so, um, like that mission was kind of the, that was the overriding goal throughout that whole thing as we were doing the rest of these features and, um, but it, that, that one was really special because it hasn't had a lot of love. Those are my favorite ones, the ones that haven't really had the, the kind of celebration and attention that I think that they deserved historically. Big Trouble in Little China was definitely that for me because, oh, that movie's amazing. And one of the best Carpenter movies, one of the best co- movies, period. I, and then I love Kurt Russell. And, um, and, then, and that one was one where I'm like, oh, all these people who were involved with that film – you only as much as I love Kurt he's kind of the only one Kim trall who ever really got any attention for it but the cat but that moved the heart of that movie yes it's Kurt yeah right but it's the it's the all the other actors that are there it's it's James Hong it's 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 all these guys who have never gotten the love and so I just went completely nuts totally went in the red on budget with it because I'm like if I can bring someone in I'm gonna do it and I kept bringing more and more people in. And their stories are so fascinating. And I realized many of them are saying, I've never been interviewed for anything in the States before. This is exciting for them. And so I just put their whole stories on. I mean, almost, it's probably the rawest non-edits that I ever had, but it was a thrill for me to put these, to help get these stories out there. So I went totally crazy on that one. Um, Mommy Dearest just came out today. That was a fun one to do. A great, fun commentary with Had of Lettuce. On that Bad News Bears was cool because when I was talking to James Earl Haley in that movie, he revealed to me that when he was on set, his dad had just bought a Super 8 camera. And he just he said this in passing during the interview. Oh, and then there was this day. Oh, that was the day my dad was on set with his camera just kind of monkeying around. I'm like, whoa. And after we're done with the interview, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying that you have film from on set of Bad News Bears because nothing exists from behind the scenes on that at all. He's like, I don't think it exists anymore. But yeah, I did. I don't know, a week later, he messages me. He's like, my parents found the reels. And he's like, and, and he's like, I think my, my wife thinks she can convert it. So then they, he, next thing I know, I have like three minutes of behind the scenes footage, Walter Matthaus in it, all these people, him on his motorcycle, j- j- tested it out, driving around. It's probably two minutes, but it's it's like finding a, a, a fossil you never expect to unearth this kind of thing. Those are the moments that are super exciting. And another one that just came out. So we ended up putting that on the disc and you can see it now on the bad news bears disc. And then, um, on the last castle, which just came out also from paramount, which is a Robert Redford, James Gandolfini movie, really good. Mark Ruffalo's in it. There was an alternate ending that the director mentioned when we were talking and paramount found it after I, I approached them. And I said, I, there's, he talked about this ending and they don't really keep much at paramount they're kind of famous for not keeping stuff around but they found the elements of this day they had all the takes from all these different camera angles and stuff but it was right after 9 11 and it was a military funeral and they didn't want to initially thought it was too heavy a way to end the film so they just left it in the vault all it's just all the takes from that day and next thing I know they send me all these things and I was gonna intercut them with a little bit of interview footage with the director but then I I was like, oh, what the hell? And it's another Night of the Demons moment where I'm like, I'm just going to cut together a version of this whole scene and send it in. If they tell me no, which I'm sure they're going to, then OK, well, at least I gave it a shot. And I turned it in and they loved it. And I couldn't believe it. It was the most incredible honor. And in the end, it's on the disc now. So you get to see that alternate ending assembled, which is nuts that I, if you think, I like, uh, pinch myself, I, I edited a scene in a robert redford movie which sounds silly but awesome moment but um there's so many different i mean erica there's so many memory, so many great memories from so many of these sleepaway camp was a real big one some b- beautiful conversations on that especially with felissa um that documentary was amazing silent night deadly night two especially i did one and two but part two is Amazing. Lee Harry, the director, getting to present his story and Eric's story, who the two of the most misunderstood figures in horror, because people just chalk this movie up to being sort of a cash in. Right. Mm -hmm. So much more than that. And, And so it became my mission on that one to present Lee Harry as a passionate, engaged filmmaker, which is exactly what he is. And now he's one of the most respected trailer cutters in all of Hollywood. But he He's he from the beginning, from the time he was a kid, was making movies with his friends and his family. And it's another one of those where I'm editing and I message him. I'm like, Is any of that footage that you mentioned shooting with your fan like your friends, does that exist? And he's like, I don't think so. But then he found it, he transferred it, he sent it to me. So that whole documentary on Silent Night 2 begins with him as a kid and his friends in the backyard getting shot and fake blood spurting and all this stuff just to show that he has been passionate about film from the beginning and got an impossible assignment with that movie. That's so much, so much more heart went into that than it's gotten credit for historically. So I could go on all day. I mean, there's so many special things. King Kong was amazing. That was a lifelong round like coming around. I have a picture on my wall of my grandmother reading that book to me when I was like, I don't know, six or something in my, on Christmas Eve, I didn't want to hear the Christmas stories. I wanted her to read that. I'm sitting on my parents' floor in my sleeping bag. And so to work on that was incredible. Um, it just, it, it never stops being holy shit moments. It doesn't.
2: It's wild to hear about this, like, wow, what a career. And a lot of these films you're talking about, like, I own these copies. And they just, like, just knowing comes to you that j- these special features and you're talking about Sony movies that um not only I love but we love on the podcast we've covered them um you know um and Phyllis is such a sweetheart oh, yeah. I have to agree with you on that one um got she's on my wall of autographs Aww. but um yeah um I have so many of these editions you're talking about including Big Trouble in Little China so it was really great to hear you include that um yeah. I, I love that movie so much, but uh, it's overlooks Carpenter classic. Yeah, but, yeah a lot uh, of people.
0: The, the, a lot of. I mean, I think it's loved in some circles, but by and large, it's kind of shuffled to the side because it's not traditional horror. But it has,
2: horror, it has right? everything.
0: It has everything.
2: It's a great film. I, I, yeah, I have that copy. Yeah, I have almost all these copies you're talking about. I'm like, wow, like just putting it together like that, like. What an amazing job, like those are so enjoyable, like, you know, the special features are just so great on those. So yeah, definitely. Great job.
0: Thank you. trying to grow, continuing to grow, you know, as time goes on and I've worked with some amazing people over time and now I'm editing all my own stuff and, um, which I enjoy a lot cause it's like writing. Editing is so much like writing where you find rhythm, you find tone, you can establish, you can do so much, and I just love finding the themes in that. There are some titles coming up that I haven't been announced yet that I would love to that I'm just holding myself back from talking about because there's some great stories associated with them. So we'll have to reconvene down the road again after a few more of these come out so we can talk about some of this stuff because it's just insane. The things that are going on right now are it's completely insane. It's, nice.
1: I it's can- hilarious. I was about to ask you if you could talk about any upcoming releases, but so, yeah, we can totally meet well, at the time. And, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, the only thing I think uh, the two that have been announced are House of Wax and then um, Eight-Legged Freaks. And I don't think either of the features on those have been announced yet, so I can't speak to them.
1: Okay, but, okay.
0: <laughs> but both were a lot of fun. Nice.
1: Okay.
0: And, there are, and there are many more that have not yet been announced that are going on right now.
2: Cool. Um, well, you spoke a little bit about Alice Cooper. So I wanted to ask, um, I know for me, um, big horror fan, but like for me, horror encompasses a lot of things and I love Alice Cooper. I've seen him live and what a show, uh, lifelong fan of Alice Cooper, but do you have any like musical influences that kind of help you, um, with your horror writing or are you into any like sort of horror centric music other than Ellis? Or is he just the one or?
0: Oh man, that's a great question. I, um, all oh, the misfits were huge for me. That's like, and the great thing about that band is that they, They're singing about, if nothing else, you could look at the track listing and just pull those titles out and go track those movies down. And that's a kind of a primer in horror, just looking at their song titles. Misfits were hugely influential for me when I was younger. I think that I I became a score junkie as a kid when I once, because, and this goes back to Halloween too. So the short version of this one is that my buddy, I hadn't seen any Halloweens yet. My friend's brother, the same one who I mentioned, was a comic book collector and collected all these movie magazines. He also collects novelizations of films, and I had heard of Halloween I, I had seen Halloween two on Halloween night in fifth grade when I was trick or treating after trick or treating with my friend, and I was like captivated and mortified, terrified of this thing, but but you know fascinated by it. And so then a few days later, I'm at my buddy's house through his brother's novelizations and there's halloween the original which i hadn't seen it so i saw two first and then i took halloween home and his brother also had the soundtrack cassette so i read halloween along with the soundtrack tape before seeing the movie which is weird and but i was trying i was so scared of everything at that point in my life i had horrible nightmares night terrors that drove my parents crazy and terrified my poor brother and so everything terrified me, but so I would do it in little bits. Like I'd read half a chapter, but I always did it with the music because I knew that they went together. And so eventually seeing the movie Halloween and it was kind of different than the book. The book has some expanded elements to it, but it was like, oh, it was like this two versions of the film at the sa- you know, in the same universe. And then I saw the television version eventually when it was on TV, which is like a third version of that story, which was really cool. So anyway, that led me to falling in love with John Carpenter's score stuff and learning who Alan Howarth was. And um, so film scores are definitely a big deal with me. Um, Alice Cooper, I mean, I had some metal stuff that I was into sort of generally around that same time. But none of it real horror-centric, I guess you could say. I do love Jason Lives, and I think it's one of the greatest metal movies of all time. I think Leatherface is another one that's another great metal movie. Um, but for me, it's like more like the classic stuff, like what Alice represents. His showmanship and that vibe. And I'm into really like the carnival and circus world and the sideshow element that's part of horror, too. The... Grand Guignol and all of that stuff. It, it really is kind of all in the same family as the metal bands. And I've seen Guar, I've seen, I mean, all these different acts. Uh, I did a panel once, which was mortifying. I think, Eric, I told you about this with Twisted at a convention. It's I like was an I.
1: Convention. Yeah, oh, it was okay. a stock, wasn't it? That's in- right. Yeah.
0: Yes. And do you remember that I didn't, I, okay, that's right. You were, you were there and like Ron was there. Right. Yeah. And I did not know what was, I was so lame. I, I was sure I was going to be called out because I was like, they need me all of a sudden to do this panel with twisted. It was an offshoot of ICP. And so I'm literally the night before, I'm like, Eric, I'm going to go back to my room now because
1: I, remember that. I wanted I to, to
0: search to like, for, I, remember, yeah. I have to search for twisted <laughs> and figure out who the hell they are and then do it. So I felt like the biggest exposed poser, but I'm like, Oh, it's just one panel. But then I walk in the room, the panel room for that panel. And it was floor to ceiling. I mean, if kids could have been on each other's shoulders, they would have been, it was nuts. The balcony packed all around. And they're all wearing the face paint, the, the shit. And I felt like the <laughs> biggest exposed idiot. I was like, D- I can't mess this up. Luckily, Sid Haig and Bill Moseley were on the panel with me because they had just done a music video with them. And so those, and I've done stuff with them before. So I was like, when they walked, I didn't, I didn't even know they were going to be a part of it. When they walk, I'm like, what are you guys doing? This is the thing. And they're like, Oh, we're part of this. I'm like, what? Yeah. We're in a music video. Like, oh shit. Okay. So tell me about the music video. So I'm off to the side. Like was Bill's like, all right. So the video, Oh, no. It, uh, yeah, I think it was Bill. It was Sid and maybe it was Kane Hodder. And I think it was Kane Hodder. Anyway, yeah, I think it was Kane and Kane's on the side. So here's what happens in the video. And so I went out and I was I've never been more terrified doing a panel in my life and played it off OK. But uh, the like the horror rap world and stuff, I remember Gravediggers. I liked them when I was younger. Um, anything that would blend, like sort of lead into that horror themed territory i would check out at least but um anyway i'm rambling now but to, the short answer is alice fucking rules and
2: Hell yeah he does if i can just jump in there with one last little comment before i pass back to erica i gotta say i agree with you um misfits are like my favorite band ever and um you know i'm about to be 42 misfits broke up like original misfits broke up when I was very very young so when they did the reunion tour that was the last time I actually went to a concert uh early 2019 um they came to Chicago I live in Indianapolis yeah and so it's only like a two-hour jump and I get to see them with Glenn and it was just like my husband and I were just like oh my god this is the best thing and, and it's Like you said, and I try to, you know, get a lot more of horror fans into Misfits. I'm like, if you just take this song, like, you know, I'm like Blood Feast. Okay, Blood Feast is not a masterpiece, but you need to see it because it's the first gore film. And there's this fucking amazing Misfits song. And you know what I always tell people, because I'm a big punk fan, but mostly horror punk. But Misfits are like the ultimate, like, you know, if you don't like this song, give it two minutes. There's another one. Yeah. And do the research, look up the titles, and there's your horror history right there. I mean, Glenn Danzig's a mega, mega horror fan, and uh, there's some great songs, and it's a really good primer, like you said. I, I just want to add that on there, because I'm always trying to push that on people like, yeah, you got to give this a chance.
0: Yeah. But
2: yeah, and also Alice, just the showmanship, and... Um, definitely, I, I don't know if Kiss. Kiss is not horror, but they definitely have the showmanship.
0: Kiss is well for me, yeah, for sure.
2: I was always a big Kiss fan, and I got to see them reunited when I was in high school. Mm. And I kind of wrote Kiss off after
0: that. Aww. I'm like, well,
2: I got to see them with Ace and Peter, so you know that was it for me. That was the dream. I saw them about three times, and that was yeah. that. But I think they kind of, a little bit, are, are kind of into that world.
0: Well, um, for sure, I think that they're they're really probably a bigger entry point than even Alice. For the general audience, I love Kiss. I, I've written for some of their tour books. And I They're did a fun. thing on uh, a big piece on Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park for them for a magazine. Oh my once. God,
2: nobody loves and, that movie but me. Are you
0: kidding oh, me? Gosh, I love I, it. Absolutely. I a, reached
2: that movie and everybody's like, are you kidding me? One, I've never heard of it. Or two, it's awful. And I'm like, no, it's the best thing ever. And it's so you can't find it anymore. I have VHS copy of it.
0: Well, it's, it's on Kissology Volume 2.
2: Yeah, but that's like so expensive.
0: Oh, is it <laughs> now? Don't add well,
2: that.
0: Yeah, and it's the European. They just
2: do not like release a DVD and it would sell so well if they just like solo release the DVD, but they're embarrassed of it. And I'm like, no, I I've tried. I make it's it. a rights
0: thing. It's totally a rights thing because Hanna okay. Barbera is okay. who okay. Hanna Barbera made the film. I've talked to Jean about this directly because I – that's my sort of white whale is getting Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park a proper release in the States. It's so the, bad. But it's a rights thing with Hanna-Barbera and some messy stuff with the producers on it is really where it sits because not even Gene – I mean we, we can't figure out – it can't be released for a number of reasons, but the the, the main one is a rights issue behind it. Oh, and,
2: I'm so glad to know that because I always thought it was because you know because they kind of gave the impression well not kind of they very much gave the impression
0: that they were very embarrassed of it. Do you think Kiss would miss the opportunity to market anything? That
2: that was, yeah, that's market? the question that I had. Like, but they, why would they miss out on money because they yeah. love money, especially Gene.
0: Yeah, uh, Gene, <laughs> and Paul, who's really kind of the the invisible man there because he's like the man yeah. behind the curtain. A lot of people don't know Paul's kind of pulling the strings a lot, a lot of his merch stuff, but. Yeah, they they're. I mean, even Gene, even the cover of Alive 2, which is Gene. I love that picture of Gene with blood on his face. It's so raw and visceral. That wasn't in a lot of record stores at that time. That kind of look, that alone could lead kids to go and, and rent stuff. And so I think that they're a crucial element in if you're talking about the story of the relationship between rock and roll and horror and music and horror. That yeah, conversation can't right. happen without Kiss.
2: Yeah, they're a really good starter point. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad we agree on that. And I'm so glad to hear another Kiss fan, a Park fan it is like I could watch it all day long. I love it so much. And I've been waiting for just like a release. I didn't know that. So I'm glad to know that information because I well, always need- thought it was Kiss. <laughs>
0: Yeah well so the the Kissology volume 2 has which is has it's the one that has Eric Carr on the cover that mm-hmm. one um, that it's the european version of it so it has slightly different music it's got some different cuts a different scene it's a different cut of the film so it's not quite what people were used to there is you can find the old good times vhs tapes floating around but they're not they're not uh, framed properly which is kind of annoying the top of it's cut off so there's infinity bootlegs out there the thing but they're all made off that good times video but if you can get that kissology
2: i want one of the you know i'm considering buying one of the bootlegs of course like i guess i'm not supposed to say that but um because i want it on dvd but um
0: get that kissology it's so good even though it's a little bit different version it's actually longer and it's so good and that whole set is so awesome their australian tour for creatures of the night so good all that stuff. Anyway, we, we won't go down the kiss.
2: Anyway.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, and to your misfits thing real quickly. I had a friend who was at the same concert you were. They were up in the nosebleeds sending me videos all night long That's, of snippets. I mean, we
2: were, yeah, we were pretty much up in the nosebleeds. We were doing videos, but Glenn Danzig had put this really strict rule yeah. that you could not take videos. So That's you had to like be secretive about it. So we managed to get some up. But if they caught you, they would take your phone and make you erase everything right in front of them or they would eject you. So we were like trying to pull off this... like. You know, so we got some video from it, and it was the only show in which because they only did like I don't think I think maybe seven shows in that tour, and luckily Chicago's two hours away, so it was like not a big deal. Dream concert for me, but um, so we got a little bit of video, we got some pictures. Glenn Danzig, um, sorry, <laughs> bad news, we got yeah. we got photos and.
0: Videos. you gotta capture it you gotta sneak that shot in even <laughs> it if it's just one or two. Oh, so awesome i'm i'm so they, jealous they, it was the
2: only show they played children in heat at so everybody was jealous you
0: Aww. know like on the
2: message wars like oh when the people in chicago got to hear children in hate i'm like ah huh. that's For cool. once the midwest pays off <laughs> so i'm sorry i i, I monopolized oh, the conversation oh, um, was, back to you erica
1: so you know this question had to come up
2: tell us about
1: Acting in Silk and other films.
0: And acting is in the loosest sense. Employed. Well, that,
1: I'm in that boat, too. Like, I've, you know, I went to Russia to... to That's right. quotes in a movie, which I, I have no training in acting, so it's basically just me taking my clothes off in a Russian ghetto. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you're, like, way ahead of me there.
0: No. That's pretty you, you much did it. A
1: job in silk. Come on. Oh
0: well, you're very kind, thank you. But I that was my friend. Uh, I had met Rob Heimbaugh, who is the director of that film, director and writer, and I had encountered a short film that he did that I I don't recommend anyone see Silk, but I do recommend that you guys all check out a short of his called Eagle Walk, one word, Eagle Walk. It's a great little Bigfoot short that actually legit makes Bigfoot terrifying. That is, it's a very oh man. I saw it at a film festival. And out of everything that was there, I was hosting the festival. And out of everything I saw, that one I walked away just on fire to find this guy. And I found him online. I reached out to him. I'm like, what else are you doing? And we hit it off really well. And and we're talking and we hung out and eventually he came around and said, hey, I'm doing this next thing. Do you want to do a little part in it, like a part in it? I'm like, I don't act. He's like, well, it's not, I mean, you really, there's only a few lines. It's not that big a deal. He's like, do you mind spiders? I'm like, no, I I, I like spiders. I'm cool with it as long as whatever. So then he's like, okay. And so things progress pretty fast on that. And the next thing I know, he's like, oh, your co-star is Elle Alexandra. Like what? And uh, who's an adult film star. And then the next thing I know, there's going to be full-size tarantulas, like adult tarantulas on set. And it was all very exciting. We shot it over the course of just a couple days, and uh, I got to—I'm so bad in it. I'm so bad. And I, I, oh, I—I feel, I feel bad for Rob because he made a good movie. He scored. Uh, he's one of these guys, and he—he's here's someone who does everything on his own. He did another movie a little later that involved. He, he wanted to do a kind of an overhead helicopter kind of a shot over a rainforest. And so he learned how to make miniatures for Silk. He learned how to do CGI spiders so he could do that final scene. He he scores his own stuff. He creates his own. I mean, all of it, all the graphics. He's an all in filmmaker who has such clear vision. He's so thoroughly brilliant. And I can't wait for the thing that breaks him out because it hasn't happened yet. But mark my words, it's going to. and so being a part of that, the greatest thing was the honor of working with Rob and to have, I had their little rose hair tarantulas they had were so sweet and gentle. And Al um, was really sweet as well. She and I are still friends to this day. And, um, and so, I mean, the other things are all, it, it was always a case like that. It was always something, and I haven't done that many, but it's like somebody says, hey, you want to be a cop in this mm-hmm. thing? I'm like, okay. So I'm a cop in this werewolf movie called Betsy. And then I don't get my face ripped off in that, too, half my face, which is pretty great. Right. And then then my friend Anthony was like, hey, do you want to get killed in a shark movie? I'm like, okay. So he puts me in Sharknado, and then I get dragged out of the way. I didn't actually die, but they dragged me out of the ocean screaming, and I'm gushing blood and stuff like that.
1: I remember that, yeah.
0: So it's just it's little things like that, for the most part, that have cropped up here and there. My friends Mike and Jason of Prescribed Films have put me in a couple things of theirs where I play like a sleazy roller roller rink attendant or a cult member in you know, a robe dancing or something. I don't know. I just I, I love all aspects of all of this. And so it's just the joy of being a part of it, being on set and getting to watch other people work. It's the same fascination I have with the interviews. It's people in their element doing what they love. And there's nothing more pure than that. And I know that film is layers of complicated elements oftentimes. Even on independent productions where they don't have a big crew, but there's still the lighting, the sound elements. You have a lot of people coming and going, effects running in. And I just it's it's a symphony that is so beautiful and so incredible to watch and be a part of. So if if it takes me being a doctor, like in No Solicitors, I'm like, they comb my hair all dumb and put me in a tie. And I had to deliver some bad news to this crying couple. If, if it takes being a doctor in a scene, one scene to be able to be on set in this awesome hospital set mm-hmm. for a day, I'll do it. Just because it's, it's such a blast to be a part of any part of any of this stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So, OK, here's another question I did not intend to ask. But now that you mentioned Eagle Walk and you mentioned it's a Bigfoot film, mm-hmm. um, I know you have a thing for Bigfoot movies. Mm-hmm. Please explain yourself.
0: <laughs> I think I think it, I, I will tell you it goes back and I have I'm not going to go get it again. But Crestwood House went from doing movie monster books into doing mythological, like, cryptozoology books. And one of the first ones was Bigfoot. Of course, these had all been out for years by the time I discovered them, so they're all on the shelf together. So I remember checking out a book on, like, having Dracula book with me. And I remember sitting at at a meeting for my brother's preschool, And I was I was with my mom. I'm in the chair next to her with these books. I, I just I don't know why that day stands out, but distinctly remember Jack and Jill Preschool, the orientation meeting. And I'm sitting there at whatever age I was. And I had Dracula. And then I had this book that was on Bigfoot and like Loch Ness Monster. It was like Bigfoot and other legends or something. And so Bigfoot and King Kong monsters, monster suits, all the special effects. The coolest ones were creatures. I love I fell in love from at an early age from all my family living on farms. I fell in love with wildlife, the nature, the, the forest, trees being up in the rural backwoods of Wisconsin, up on these ridges and um, uh, So the Bigfoot cinema combines a lot of these elements. It brings wildlife. It's all set in forests. It's the same thing as bear movies. I'm a junkie for grizzly. For example, oh. I love Grizzly. The Girdler, so so good, and that's one of my comfort food movies. You like that one?
2: I, I have a question for you. Um, I know you mentioned, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, but I just I forget if I don't say something. Oh, um, I know you mentioned um, you like The Town That Dreaded Sundown, of course, you know. Um, but Charles B. Pierce, he did The Legend of Boggy Creek about yes. the, the um, you know, Boggy Creek Monster. Um, how do you feel about that? Do, are you interested in that as well?
0: Um I'm, I'm extremely interested in that and I will say that there are announcements forthcoming Ooh, in relation okay. to Legend of Boggy Creek.
2: I love um I love the Charles B. Pierce ones. Not um I love the you know the Legend of Boggy Creek, um, uh, not the second one that was not done by him, but the second one that he did, which was also part two, um and the legend continues. I love that yeah. one
0: as well. Where he's the lead, yeah.
2: Well, yeah, because Charles v. Pierce yeah right exactly he was in yeah. all of his movies so yeah, I have yeah. a fondness so I just wondered because that kind of fits into sort of a Bigfoot mythology so I was just curious if you were a fan
0: yeah totally a fan and that also fits into the because there's all these documentaries on Bigfoot that, I'm, that I love as well there's one called Mysterious Monsters that's hosted by Peter Graves it's so amazing. You have to find it. I think I think cheesy flicks or some smaller label put it out, but it's really good and it covers a lot of crypto stuff, but it primarily focuses on Bigfoot. It's so great because they didn't do anything to restore the movie. It looks and sound as though it's been dragged across a parking lot and then lit on fire and then they rolled it up and ran it through the projector. I mean, it's awesomely bad. And it's so you just settle into like 1978 or whatever year it came out. Mysterious monsters buy that DVD. Don't pause just go by it also in search of the leonard nimoy show has a lot of yeti bigfoot abominable snowman but all kinds of great episodes over like nine seasons that show is incredible there's just so much of that out there but to your point about boggy creek it blends the two it's like a docudrama kind of a thing because they're they really are blending the fauk mythology into the story of of this film and then using the locals to tell the story i think that's a it's a brilliant mechanism that they use, that Charles used for that, and, um, and it's, uh, it, it's one of the best. There's a book I want to recommend by Dave Coleman. If you, if you want to pick this up, it's called The Complete Bigfoot Filmography. Dave is an amazing guy. I did an article once on Bigfoot Cinema for, I think it was for Scream Magazine maybe in the UK, I want to say. But um, I, inter- I interviewed him for that. But this book is as exhaustive as it gets. Every TV episode of any series, any movie, any you name it, anything relating to Bigfoot, Yeti, all that stuff is in this amazing book that he put out. It's so good. And it has a lot of background on the production of the films as well. It's not just like a fan review type thing. It's got a lot more than that. So it's just a rich mythology, Erica, that it has so much more to offer I like because that's another thing. It blends these worlds of the unknown with a perfect cinematic creature because you can't ever disprove it. And yet it's omnipresent culturally. And it exists in so many cultures around the world that you can go somewhere and have a conversation about it. And it's this kind of wacky side road culturally that I think is still being explored with like that great new Hulu series called Sasquatch. Did you see that? I have not seen it. Oh, you got to check it out. It's sort of about Bigfoot. I'm not going to give it away what it's ultimately about, but it's really good. So it just continues to, I think, uh, um, entertain and mystify people to this day. And I love things that, that you can't take away from people. And mythology is definitely one of those things. And Bigfoot is one of those creatures. So is there a good Bigfoot movie? There are a couple. Abominable is phenomenal. I think a Lalo, a, a, a Ryan Schifrin's film, Abominable, is fantastic. That is really good. That was shot in, um, Idle, in <laughs> Idlewild, actually, that was shot in Idlewild, of all nice. places. And uh, that's really good. I think that Exists is really good, which is from the director of Eduardo Sanchez, who made Blair Witch Project, and it's kind of a Blair Witch treatment for Bigfoot, which is perfect. So there are some genuinely terrifying Bigfoot movies. There's some really good ones. But then the bad ones are so great, including Bigfoot, just called Bigfoot, from the Asylum, which also has Alice Cooper in it to your candy. Alice Cooper gets killed by Bigfoot in this movie. He's on stage with his – have you seen this movie?
1: I have seen it a while
0: back. They, they, they hire him for a day, and they're like, okay, you're going to be doing this concert in the woods, and Bigfoot's going to come and, like, kick you and stomp or crush you or something. I think he gets stepped on. And so, and they put this band behind him that was clearly like three 14 year olds locally with their like drums and guitars. So you got Alice Cooper walking on stage as though this is really an Alice Cooper concert. And here's these three fucking kids up there with like spiky haircuts and their collars popped. And it's like, we're so rock and roll. And Alice comes out and he has a, a rubber snake around his neck. And he comes on stage and he's like, you guys ready to party? And there's like 20 extras in front of him. Like, yeah, it's so bad. And then big, this enormous CGI Bigfoot that's one of the worst ever created comes and kicks in. Oh, and the movie stars Danny Bonaducci and Greg from the Brady Bunch. So you have Greg. Danny Bondaducci. I have Alice to see Cooper, this. This is the worst the,
1: thing I've ever heard. I have to see it.
0: It's always like five bucks on Amazon. And it's from the same oh people. Oh, my God. Who I need it. Shark, you know, so. I, I have
1: a fondness I, for
0: just garbage films.
1: I, I watched it only for Alice Cooper, and I kind of repressed the memory. But <laughs> I you need to revisit it. That.
0: I will <laughs> always own that film. I absolutely love that movie. It's a staple. <laughs> I
1: think we true. all have some, like, guilty pleasure movie that we, we know it's a piece of shit movie. Oh, but yeah.
2: So that's, that's, that's my it's whole collection. The of the park—it's absolute trash, but I love it.
0: Yeah, the cartoon music is jeans kicking over a hot dog stand. Yeah, it's <laughs> the, the hand of Don't, don't look like kiss at all. The oh bad, yeah, the hanna of you know, like sound effects. Yeah, the African American ace. His yeah, I was like, like oh, that does doesn't even look a little bit like Ace. And they show straight up close-ups of yeah, the face. Like, oh, that
2: was <laughs> not wise choice. But I love that movie. I will defend it to the death. There. and I
0: monster love garbage dog films monster dog alice's other oh, yeah yeah oh it's so good though oh come on and it has uh, some he plays a rock star in it of course he becomes a werewolf and he does there's some music videos that are really kind of odd the music for him they're kind of um, zipper catches skin era yeah. out yeah
2: yeah that was a weird time
0: and he took that film he told me to prove that he could work sober. He had just, he had spent a long time underground and he wanted to prove that he could show up, be reliable and do this without being fucked up. And so that, and he loves B movies and he's like, I don't just love B movies. I want like Z grade movies is what he, same thing. (laughs) And so when they offered him this, they're like you can go be in a castle in the middle of Romania with a cast that doesn't speak a lick of fucking English. You're going to become a werewolf and you're going to get to be Jack the Ripper a little bit here and there. And he's like, in.
2: I can and imagine goes- that totally him out. I was being like, yes.
0: Oh, it's so good. And he's so That'd great in it.
1: Fun movie. I mean, that, that is like totally a, a fun project to be involved with. Like I totally, I totally get why he would say yes to that. I
0: would
2: say yes to that.
0: I yeah. love that movie. If you don't pick up that Blu-ray, it's so good. I'm giving you, i mean, like giving you a laundry list of have- recommendations. This here.
2: is a good thing. I like it. I mean, I always like to, you know, even when we're just doing regular podcast episodes and, and, you know, people bring up a different film. I'm like, oh, I'm going to write that down on the list. Yes, yeah. no, so I'm always scribbling. When Alice
0: Cooper completist, you got to see it. You've got to see it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs>
2: I've been an Alice Cooper fan for so long. I remember when um, – I'm reminiscing. I better stop. This is not my show. I, <laughs> I, I'm
1: in that book, too, with Alice, like – I got to be on stage with him. Like I won that balloon toss thing. Um, oh, I, I, I bought like the, the hot, top level VIP ticket that has the backstage pass and you get so many oh. autographed items and get to like play with the boa constrictor and <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>
0: oh,
1: put your head in the guillotine. So I did that and I was like selected at random to be the balloon thrower. For How did the I this? Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: That's so yeah, cool. Yeah,
1: I have pictures. I'll have to send you pictures later.
2: But I yeah, think that the was. only show I was ever front row for was Nine Inch Nails. Um, it was during a Downward Spiral tour. I was 15.
1: Nice.
2: Everybody's like, but that's quite a fucking show to be front row for. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw them too. I was yeah, this close
2: were. to Trent Reznor. <laughs> I cherish the memories. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, sorry I took us off track. Yeah. I'm really bad about that.
0: Oh, yeah. so it's all—it's totally relevant. Yeah.
2: I love
1: being involved with this show so much, and I've like grown to appreciate some films that I pretty much did dismiss in the past. Like, I've never been a huge fan of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, but we ended up covering some of the sequels uh, for some of our episodes, and yeah, Candy's kind of in that same boat too, where we're like more Freddy people than. T- Jason Freddy people. <laughs> But yeah, we're both Team Freddy, but it's like, okay, I do respect the Friday the 13th films a bit more, and same with some of the, like, other 80s slashers, which, I mean, in terms of not favorite subgenres, that's probably mine, like, just kind of how formulaic some of those were, I was yeah. like... You know, that's they're, they're, they're kind of some of I the
2: fun to. for me, because that's, you know, the 80s were such an iconic time for my my age group, you know, that's when I was getting into horror, and you know VHS you know my mom would let me rent she worked at the video store I could rent whatever I wanted she didn't give a fuck you oh, know, you're and lucky I, I was very lucky and I and that's why you know I come to this podcast with so much knowledge like I watch every trash anything that had a cool cover <laughs> I fucking rented it yeah, and it was me sometimes too. like the worst things but that's why I'm sometimes I spring some stuff on them and I'm like okay wait I maybe shouldn't have done that that's a garbage film but <laughs> like you know and just like sometimes we talk about when they're just like candy oh my god why i'm like you know i had to suffer through it
0: why not yeah yeah and saying you never i mean people fall in love with the least obvious things i when i was working with the halloween franchise i knew i i know people in fact i'm still in touch with this guy darnell weeks who has a a video show on youtube and the and he uh his favorite halloween is resurrection and that's That's because that's uh, popular Well, right. But that's that's the one he came into it with. That's where that's where his toe went in the water for the first time. So it makes total sense that that's his. And I remember doing a watch along with him once. And so that's and and that's the thing, like with what I do, I approach every one of these movies as though I mean, I treat every one of them the same. I give them all the exact same love and attention. I, I I'm never not trying to get as much as I can on these titles because I know every single one of them is the favorite for who knows how many countless people that are out there. And, and, and I don't think that we're here to be like judges of art. I consider myself more of like a, cause I'm not a, I don't, I don't put myself on these things unless I absolutely have to. It's like a last minute thing. If someone cancels that I end up on a commentary track or something like that, usually, but uh, because I just wanted to stick to the people who are actually part of the productions and were there and can speak to them. But, um, also I think that, uh, God, where was my train of thought going from that? What was I speaking to just before then?
2: Um, Halloween resurrection. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It, it, anybody's favorite. Like you just never know when you're touching something that people have been waiting years for and there have been some surprises, like I, some titles that when they announce them, I'm I'm blown away by the reception that they receive like holy crap this audience is like when they announced Brotherhood of the Wolf for example I know that people like Brotherhood of the Wolf I knew that it has an audience that's Christoph Gans who made the Silent Hill that I did a couple of years ago and and uh, but I had no idea how massive the audience is for that film for example so there are surprises there are the Halloween Resurrections out there that are someone's favorite that might not be that popular with some others.
2: Yeah, and I found that just doing the podcast, like um, I got everybody into this like film that I discovered. God, it was a preteen this hard rock zombies movie <laughs> that I rented because I like hard rock, I like zombies, why not? And it's just atrocious, but like one person on—they're no longer on the podcast—but they just fell in love with this film, and I'm like, and there's an audience for this film. And I I just never thought to search the web or anything. I just was like, I'm gonna spring this on you guys and I found out that like people love this movie. Yeah. And I'm like, I hate this movie so much. Yeah. Well, so I don't I don't do hate I titles anymore. That. Um, because I find out that I piss people off, so I turn out to be that way. But is know, that
0: something you did? You brought up movies that you just hated. You're like, okay, here's yeah, one. I it's hate.
2: like you know why not? Because we're doing some great stuff. Like let's throw some trash in there <laughs> you know, keep it lively. That's just how I am, chaotic. Yeah, you know, chaotic good personality here. But um, yeah, I just thought it'd be fun.
1: Sometimes those discussions about like movies that aren't great are really fun discussions. Yeah,
2: they turn into like really fun times. Um, yes, I wasn't. Yeah, I was kind of pushed to doing, um, I've never been, you know, as, oh, in the 80s, you know, as a kid, you were Team Freddy or you were Team Jason, you know, and of course, you had your Michael Myers people, but for the most part, it was, you know, they were marketed even towards kids as mm-hmm. you know, Freddy and Jason, mm-hmm. and I was, so I just stayed away from Jason films, and I always loved my Freddy films, but, like, they pushed me so hard to do these, these um, Freddy 13 films, and... And just like Erica said, like we we were so like I'm not going to like that, but we've kind of grown on it. Like we've like yeah, I guess we don't hate it. You know, it's not my favorite, but we don't hate it. We we've heard everybody, and we just have such a large podcast. There's, in total, seven of us, which is you know like trying to run a three ring circus sometimes. It, it, it
1: really especially
2: is, especially when amazing. I talk the most. And <laughs> well, I'm just all quiet tonight. Yeah, we talk over <laughs> each other. We try to do this it's hand raising thing. Does it work?
1: <laughs> yeah, we start trying to implement the hand raise feature on Skype, so we take turns, and like always, halfway
2: through the episode, it, it just falls, falls apart.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> like bound to happen. We have a bunch of passionate people, right? I mean, that's yeah.
2: The... I mean, we all love horror, and, and, and some of us have our special genres. And you know, me, I'm like <sighs> my favorite creature, like yours was King Kong, I mine's Dracula. And that's like, oh, that's so typical, isn't it? But, you know, I hate that. I, I don't think that's fair. Because um, I'm a girl, I have to like vampires. But I just like vampires. Those are my yeah. creatures. Um, you know, we have our. Everybody has their thing that they bring that's special to the show. And we just have a a great group of people. And Erica's always got some kind of extreme thing she's throwing yeah. at us. And, and I, I really. Yeah, I love that. I love. Uh, what I've grown to love, and, and we do a lot more shows of now, our Ghouls Night Out is where it's just Eric and I, and occasionally we have a guest or two, um, but it's just all female feminist reviews of. of we just did the craft. Um, um, people are going to be. <laughs> might be a I don't know what the reception. Of that's going to be.
0: I haven't seen the new one. There's like a. I don't know if it's like, I, is that a remake.
2: Sure. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, it's kind of a
0: continuation. It. Oh okay okay. Yeah,
2: it's, uh, yeah. I, I didn't have a chance
1: to watch the new one, but yeah, we covered the original, and maybe we didn't give it the loving treatment that we gave to all the other
2: <laughs> films that we well, reviewed. People, well, you know, all of our responses on Twitter, on Instagram, you know, were just so positive, and I'm like, you guys are looking through those uh those glasses, those rose-colored glasses of your youth. Yeah. We're, we turn it on its head, and people are going to be like, what did they do to the craft?
0: Cool. Like, challenge oh, people. That's heal. great. Yeah, challenge them. <laughs>
2: You know, especially when we're doing it, you know, these feminist horror reviews, because we bring you know, we don't only talk about the film but we talk about feminism in general and how it applies to the film or maybe parts of the film. So that's just kind of like a really cool thing that grew between the two of us and as our friendship grew and it's just it's just a beautiful thing. But I love the show in general and it's it's been like I guess this is what I'm doing in horror. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not what I thought I was gonna be doing, but um I'm very happy.
0: Yeah. It's for a reason
2: it's it's for so
0: people. Yeah.
1: yeah i love being on this show it's yeah the discussions are just always so much fun and i have like reevaluated my opinions of a lot of films uh, definitely
2: too. and i used to never listen to commentary tracks before that mm. and now i've listened to all commentary tracks and it's like something it's i didn't own them i just never utilized them because i like to i'm one of those people i like to absorb the film yeah and and just because like you know um where I do have acting training, I never did film, but I did uh, stage. And so like, I had to get like really absorbed in like performances and stuff. And I didn't want anything to detract from that. And now I'm like, Oh, I need to hear the commentary track on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I better listen to that. I better, what, I, I better, you know, so it's changed me and how I, I look at things. And so you can only learn more from other people in this genre. There's so much to it. Yeah. And yeah, I love just meeting more people.
0: Well, that's cool that you though, you have the, the, wonderful experience of getting to know the movies first and spending time with them maybe years with them and then getting into the nuts and bolts of the behind the scenes and in a way i'm grateful for that from my youth too because even though like those books i was talking about they aren't about the making of them and a lot of the articles that were in famous monsters for example a lot many of them were like letters from kids that got expanded into articles and things i remember joe dante told me that one of his greatest goals when he was a kid he and his friends were to write to famous monsters until one of your letters became an article because fourry would just turn these anyway so Forey. yeah yeah the, the the it was fangoria that really opened the door to me to the mechanics behind the scenes on these things
2: they had great so, articles
0: oh so great and, and to this lore. day yeah to this day it's so amazing it's such a such a great resource and those back issues are invaluable but I'm glad that I grew up not knowing too much about them all because the the, the magic wasn't ever the dust wasn't ever blown off. Mm-hmm. It, it, it not until years later. So even to this day, when something new comes out and I buy something like well whatever it is, I'll I'll watch the movie. I'll spend time with it, and I won't even I won't go into the special features right away. I'll watch it a few times, maybe even a year, maybe even a little bit more later before I go into the behind the scenes. Because I want to exist within the universe of that movie without thinking about, oh, immediately to their left was the soda machine they had to crop out of frame or something. I don't know, whatever. Those those kinds of things, knowing too much. And that's crazy from someone who works in telling these stories or having people tell these stories. But I just think that uh, there is something to be said for spending time with it before you know too much i think that's that's
2: interesting that you use the same words that i would have used the magic of it i mean i think that's what sucks us in as horror fans in general and um i think the first commentary track i ever listened to which has really set the bar very high was evil dead 2 Mm. um it's so fucking funny yeah um huge Evil Dead fan. Um, so watching like listening to that commentary on a movie that I've seen a bazillion times in my lifetime, like it just made it even better. Um, there's some that are where that you can tell they get bored like in, in the middle of it, but you know, that set the bar a little high for me. Well,
0: that's that great though. What what dry. a perfect introduction because if you ran into something that was dry and dull, you'd I probably definitely never since not gonna do it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I interviewed Bruce for the Escape from LA blu-ray like a year or so ago he was so great he's so awesome and he was just on joe bob last week yeah he
2: was um we have a section a little section on our show called candy's awkward celebrity encounters i have a way to always embarrass (laughs) myself in front of people and i have a funny first gamble story like okay my son's name is ash oh all right so, like, I had this whole, like, spiel I was going to tell Bruce. And, and I have this nervous tick of, like, I want my hands to be soft. And so when I shake hands with him and whatever, I put on too much lotion. And I go up and I shake his hand. My husband's shaking his hand, talking to him. I go up for my turn. I'm like, hi, I'm him. And he's just like, what is all over you? And that loud Bruce voice. And everybody <laughs> in line is laughing. And I'm like, fucking kill me. <laughs> and I'm like I need to do over, so I have a picture like of, of us with him, and I'm just like kill me face on, like I I really need to redo. We have one of the big five horror cons that come through Indie um, Horrorhound. Yeah. We also get Days of the Dead, uh, which I have a bad association because I was supposed to meet Romero, and uh, he died like a week before I was supposed to meet him at Days of the Dead. So I I every time I think of Days of the Dead, I get depressed. But horror Hound is always amazing. So yeah, that's where I met Bruce. I'm like, Bruce, come back. I need another chance. I won't use lotion. You'll just have to. Do My it. hands
0: will be dry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> totally dry. We're, we're, we're oh, doing yeah. this big event in July, actually. Um, the House of Screams is meeting up because yeah, we have all never met joke. in person.
0: Oh wow.
2: We're meeting Joe Bob. We all got the V I M or V I P tickets, and I'm so. not going to embarrass myself in front of Joe Bob. For once, I'm not going to be embarrassing.
1: I bet we've all had embarrassing celebrity encounters. She some funny ones. Like, and some, yeah, those have come up on the podcast. I can't remember if I mentioned on the podcast that like the first three or four conventions I went to, I got so nervous about meeting people I, you know, whose work I respected that I had to like sprint to the bathroom and just puke. I was like a stress monster. Um, like I'd either have to throw up like right before meeting them or right after because like my nerves were like ramped up.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
2: I sweat. I sweat really heavily. Yeah. I'm like, and I'm not usually a sweater, but I'm like, oh, God. You know, I have to look good for this picture. I have to say the right thing. And I never managed to. The time I met Billy Zane, and I couldn't walk right. I, I don't know why. I, I got I got literally weak in the knees. And I'm supposed to be in this picture. And they're like trying to kind of like hurry up. And I'm like, I can't walk.
0: Ma'am, are you okay?
2: <laughs> and he's just so charming and dashing. And I'm just like,
0: so, oh, oh, Billy. Oh, Billy.
2: I love her um, story about, oh, oh, God, the name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why so, I like think his rocket name? Rocket I love him so much.
1: It was it was uh, Brad Dourif.
2: Brad Dourif. Okay, yeah, I feel really dumb because I know his name really well, but oh, my yeah, God. That, that was called.
1: when Andrew was debuting the Jim's Hellebrew at the And he bar. was dressed like
0: an old-timey bartender and, like, yeah, slinging him. Like Remember his like outfit?
1: 1800s-era <laughs> yeah. bartender outfit. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I was just, like, exhausted from being up, like, for, like, literally over 24 hours. And um, I was also wearing these high-heeled shoes, and my feet had, like, swollen up and formed blisters, and I couldn't walk, and my friends, like, carried me out of the bar at the end of the evening. And I guess Brad – I didn't even know Brad Durf like, saw me or, like, that I registered on his radar. But when I finally got to meet him on Sunday when his wine was manageable – he like put his hand on my shoulder and like said, are you okay after last night?
2: <laughs> and that's the memory that you want to have. I mean, that's, like, that's the impression you want to make. It's like, Oh God.
0: Oh my gosh. That's yeah. I've had, I've
1: had some doozies and it's like, hell no. um Yeah. Like I think Andrew was the first, um, you know, like horror film, you know, personality I, I met and I was like so anxious. I, couldn't talk for a long time. I just didn't know what to say when it was, like, my turn to talk to him. But now just, he probably these wishes things i talked to less. <laughs> I mean, just with, like, the shit I say to him now on during our phone calls when I'm helping yeah. him with stuff, but it's, like...
2: <laughs> I was like, yeah, I kind of wish you were more shy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, just like the recent um contacts I had with Melissa Rose, like, it was the night that I was trying to debut, like, some of our makeup looks, and I was getting ready to go live, and I had, like, this Hello Kitty, hold my hair back, headband, face, no makeup, which is scary. And I get this video call, it's Melissa Rose, and I'm like, oh, my God, I look like dead dog shit. Oh. And then I felt so awkward, I didn't want to say anything.
0: Oh, but she's so sweet. She would she's never. So
2: sweet. She made me feel really comfortable and she's, yeah. she's just a darling. So I got very comfortable quickly, but at first I was just like, Oh God.
0: Well, that's like Brad. You think about like they can, it, it, the celebrity can make that experience something. I remember being across the way I was at a, some convention. I think it was a days of the dead or something. I don't know, but I was, I had a table for my charity that Matt that I mentioned Malik and I started that was there and I was across from Roddy Piper and from Tom Savini, who were side-by-side. <gasps>
2: Savini is my favorite.
0: Well, S- Savini blew off a young man in a... At, on Sunday, you know how a lot of celebrities pack up early. Mm-hmm. And this young man in a wheelchair rolled up to Savini's table, and Savini's just kind of sitting there, kind of half-packing, and, like, the place is really empty, for the most part. And this kid rolls up, and Savini's kind of just putting stuff in boxes and whatever. And he goes uh can i get a picture with you and he's like no i'm 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 packing up i'm sort of closing up shop thanks though piper still has a line like out and sort of down the hallway and piper sort of sees this looks over and he says to the guy he's with he's like can you hold on a second like i'll get right back with you and he's like come here kid and he goes Roddy piper and he's like and, and he was like I, I didn't want to wait in line for you i figured that you weren't gonna whatever and then he's like come here and he's like so you're a you're a fan he's like you're a wrestling fan he's like i'm a huge wrestling fan i love you and hulk hogan and whatever And he's like and he t- roddy takes off his jacket puts it on his leather jacket puts it on the kid shows him a little like wheelie thing on his wheelchair he's like did you know you my friend has one of these you can kind of it was like the ultimate experience for this kid and meanwhile savini's just over there kind of just like half putting photos into a thing that's just a great example of that momentary interaction can mean the world to someone and you can tell the difference with someone like a felissa especially a felissa she'll go
2: on for hours and hours and hours and hours
0: yeah when you meet when you meet john or joe bob you're going to find the same thing he and i have a very very important
2: story to share with him and i hope i i've condensed it so i hope i can share it with him um that's my my
0: hope yeah it's been well, a very important thing well i mean like the his ascension his resurrection through the last drive and it's been awesome
2: it's I mean, been a wonderful experience for me because joe bob has always meant so much to me back in the monster vision days yeah. when i was in high school yep. um, it was a really troubling time for me and it was him taking the time to handwrite me letters when everybody was sending in emails My family was too poor to have a computer. We were lucky to have cable, and he handwrote me letters, and it really helped my life at that time. That was a very dark time, so I want to tell him thanks. Um, (laughs) I've been waiting a long time to tell him that, but a note on Tom Savini, I know he's an asshole. Uh, That's all I ever hear. I try to speak in his defense because I've met him a lot of times, and he's always been very, very friendly and sweet to me. Yeah. But they're like, it's because you're a girl. I'm like, it's my husband's there too. You know, I don't think that's it. I don't know. I'm just like. I love. Well, everyone name. has
0: good days and bad days, right? Yeah, I, mean, like, I, I love his work, day. and I,
2: I noticed that he sits around. and He looks really grumpy, and he never has a line because he has such a bad reputation. So I, I, I hear these bad stories, and I, I take them into account. I just know my experiences have been positive. I wish more people had more positive experiences because yeah. he was so influential. That's one of the first things my husband and I have bonded over. You know, we've been friends since childhood, and was it was Gore and Savini was the best. You know, especially yeah. in the eighties, he was the king. And, um, you know, hearing that these bad stories, you know, and I I just, I try to be like, well, I've always had positive experiences, but hearing these things, I'm like, ah.
0: Yeah. I'm not trying to like throw him under the bus or anything. Oh no, everybody does. It's
2: okay. He deserves it. But I just like, wish he was more like how he is with me than he, you know, I wish he was like that with other people, but he's just grumpy. He's a grumpy. I think I
0: have that with Carpenter too. A lot of people misunderstand Carpenter and he and I have done a bunch of things over the years and. I've also, about that. yeah I've, I've always found him to be wonderful i mean he's been great he when it came for the time for my charity he was totally on board with taking part contributing his time um i mean <coughs> I, I can't say enough good things about him and sandy his wife and uh and but it's a similar thing there's this there's the perception that people are forecasting doom with him like oh yeah you can go and meet him at a convention but don't expect much or something well no that's
2: basically if, what I've heard
0: yeah but if you walk in and I mean, like if you it doesn't have to be that way and that doesn't mean <clears throat> excuse me that it's going to be that way so you just be as open to that as you were to um, any movie when you see it for the first time I mean just let the experience speak for itself and the thing with Savini you can't you can't overstate his importance in the genre of course like you were saying and so I mean like yeah, yeah. I mean, one bad day doesn't speak for a person, and I think we can all say that, right?
1: Yeah. Maybe uh, it's are, protect
2: oh, I'm sorry, Erica. Oh,
1: sorry. I was just going to say there are a few celebrities I've met whom I will throw under the bus in a heartbeat. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> like Linda oh, Blair's
1: bad days, but it's like some it's like mm. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: don't
1: yeah. know if I I don't know if Justin knows my Dirk Benedict uh story, but that's a long long story. It's like
0: who's Dirk um, benedict
1: oh he was in uh, uh you know Battlestar galactica you know and he was like in a bunch of like older sci-fi films and okay. he was at crypticon a few years ago when i was doing the podcast with my horrific life before my co-host you know moved to a different state right but, um I, I i guess i shouldn't necessarily be really mean about someone who might have mental problems that's mm-hmm. like all i can say but he uh his Q&A session, it was all just him rambling about, like, the women he was in relationships with who left him with no warning. And that's happened to him, like, four times. He didn't, like, talk about his career <laughs> films or TV shows. He had strange, yeah. It was like, I don't know why this same thing keeps happening to me. Like, these women are, were, like, the love of my life, you know, just, like, packed up and left while I was out for the day with no explanation. It's like, well, you're the only common denominator here, buddy. And, <laughs> um, yeah, and then he I went mean, off onto politics and his love of Donald Trump. And oh, my God. God. And, he, and, like, saying that feminism is against nature. I mean, he just had all these random thoughts that, like, Whoa. Um, it did not seem cohesive, like, in addition to the fact that, you know, I I'm don't block about opinions, but it no was, way. like, just super uncomfortable on many different levels, and... Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I like to bring up that story just as, like, the weirdest... It is so odd. And it got weirder when, um, you yeah, know, my, my friends who were, like, part of the old podcast wanted to talk to him because they grew up with some of his shows. Mm. And uh, <laughs> um, at first he was, like, really interested in my friend Colleen because she's a Pulitzer, you know, nominated journalist. And I, he was, like... Really chatting with her and treating me like dog shit. But as soon as her husband showed up, then it became this bro thing, and then he was treating both Colleen and I like dog shit.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> it was like. Uh... It's and he, he so wanted super to invite,
2: comfortable.
1: Yeah, he wanted to invite Todd out for cigars and like drinks and just like completely <laughs> exclude Colleen and I. <laughs>
0: was, wow. You
1: know.
0: I've been pretty lucky in my travels <clears throat> through all this stuff. I mean, I really have had so few and knock on wood problems with, with anybody. I mean, honestly, agents and managers are the only real roadblocks most of the time with these things. But most of the celebrities, especially if if they're loving and working in the genre, they're usually they get in respect the fan experience and they understand the, the, how much it means to appear on something like a commentary track or to participate with a new interview, there are those like uh, <clears throat> I've, I had someone once who had only really done a handful of movies back in the like early '80s, so not not a not a big star, mm-hmm. and they wanted like they, they they were they wanted an astronomical amount of money to do an interview. They wanted thirty five thousand dollars to do an interview.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, that, that, yeah, that reminds me yeah of like the Dirk Benedict thing. So like, uh, like Todd was trying to get him on our podcast and he's like, oh, you know, I, I don't really do podcasts anymore because I'm not allowed to talk about my political views. It's like, we'd totally let you talk about them. It's like, we don't agree with them, but you know, yeah, let our guests right. share what they want. Well, it's probably just as well. He didn't agree to it because like another friend, like did interview him for his show and after the fact, he says, okay, I, I like, have a $10,000 fee for doing these interviews. And they're like, what? You, like, there was no mention of this before recording it, so they never released the episode, but it was,
2: yeah.
0: Oh, my strange.
2: gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's too bad to hear. I, I found the horror community to be very accepting. Oh, yeah. Very friendly. Amazing. Un- and we, we've talked a lot about, you know, because um, we've had some shows where we talk generally about, you know, how we got into horror. And a lot of us were sort of outcast or shy or, you know, just a little backwards. And, you know, um, and, and it's, I think it's just a really friendly community. I have not had too many horrible run-ins. I've only had really very few. Um, mm-hmm. And almost everything's been positive. Everybody's very supportive of each yeah. other, including, like, you know, we're friends with other podcasts and we all work together and, you know, I just, you know, just uh, guests that we have, celebrity guests, you know, just people we talk to, it, just in general, everybody's so friendly and kind and, and just, you know, there for each other. And I really like that. Um, you don't find that too much in too many communities anymore. So,
0: you know. Yeah. I, we all speak the same language. It's like you walk, that's the great thing about conventions is you're walking into a space where you all have the same vocabulary. Yes. And, and and one of the great things here, too, is that everyone loves just to share their passion. They loved. Oh, what did you where did you find that poster? Like when you're walking, where did you get that? What booth has that or even online or anywhere else? It's not. I mean, there are segments of the community like any that are yeah. combative and stuff like that. I really find it's it's really remarkably small compared to the larger discussions that are also mutually supportive, open I mean, here we are, uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, the most, like you talk about accepting Mm. community movies like, um, a nightmare on street too. You look at, there's so many different angles that this genre can take because it's boundaryless. And, 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 and because commercially a lot of production houses and studios, they view genre stuff differently than they would their new hit blockbuster that needs to have all of the like bumpers in it, like a bowling alley. Like it needs to have all this, the padding around it neatly packaged and clean and tidy politically or whatever. Horror, horror are so open and accepting and the fans are absolutely incredible. And I just think that it's that shared love. It's that we were passing magazines around to each other. Like here, check out this new issue of Fango or listen to this album, the soundtrack, or yeah, you can borrow that disc. You have to listen to that commentary, stuff like that. That's how we talk. It's not like, no, this is mine. You can't see it.
2: We, we actually did, um, for our season three ender, we are currently in season four, which is sort of the season of John Carpenter, but um, our season ender was Nightmare on Elm Street 2, mm-hmm. and we had a professor who was involved with the Scream Queen documentary oh, cool. about, you know, who was so on good. there, and we are going to have him as a returning guest, he was such a great guest. Yeah. Um, so we got, you know, we wanted to cover both things, so we sort of tied them together, and it was such a great talk of like how much hate it got and how revered it is now in you know there's the lgbtq horror community in general yeah. so i mean we're talking horror is so inclusive and look at mark Patton now and you know he's, he's out he's doing activism and and he is one of those people that is so professional and i love in the documentary where he's like you know this may be the only chance i get to meet someone i want to make a good impression you know on my fans and i want to hear that from people because that may be the only chance i get to meet him you know
1: yeah
2: and so we had a really wonderful wonderful discussion about that and so um yeah it's so inclusive Mm -hmm. and you don't have to like you said you don't have to worry so much about you know it's it's so this you know it's it's just transcendent you can really do a horror movie about anything and anything is really horror if you think about it right
0: and people aren't okay. afraid, and we aren't afraid to approach the difficult discussions either. So we, mm-hmm. there is, there's the general love, there's the acceptance, there's the openness. But then, like working on Sleepaway Camp, for example, that's a movie that continues to be hotly debated among people yes. uh, uh, from all sides. And
2: I wrote an article about it and included it into the queer horror genre because it definitely needs to be there, but it's still hotly debated.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. And that's an is it that's
2: offensive? Is it non-offensive?
0: Right. And we all love entertaining that that's the thing is that there are Mm -hmm. people who like anything else are are stuck in their opinion maybe not stuck but you know they're locked into their outlook on something but for the most part we just so love diving in on these we want to challenge ourselves we we love to see things a different way just like we like to see an alternate version of a movie oh there's an uncut version hell yeah i want to see it i want to see as much footage as i can yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. like it's the same thing in considering the movies too and that part of the dialogue, I think, is something that might not be discussed that often, but we love to challenge each other and challenge ourselves in how we see these things and take them in and how they speak to these greater conversations, which is like what you guys are doing, this an extension of that with your show, which is so fucking great. Yeah,
2: we really try to, like, buck the norm, bring up the questions yeah. that people aren't going to bring up. Like, we, we don't want to sit and talk about how great the cast is and so how vital. great the seamless. We want to talk about... You know some of the bigger issues, maybe stuff people don't see, um, personal things that can you know make the, make you look at it differently. I mean, we're we're trying to, to just be a little bit different and and cause some more conversations and and have some interesting conversations because these these films they they are just legendary and and horror people like you know they tend to be your collectors and they tend to be um the people that just like it, it just never dies for them that's like right. a love forever for life and yeah. and so you can talk about it you know ad nauseum there's yeah. so much to talk about you know well, that's
0: what we never... do at sleepovers <laughs> so that's and why stuff we
2: revisited Night of the demons because yeah. i wasn't done talking about it
0: oh <laughs> well that's a great that's another great example of a movie that in but like, the friday the 13th films and the nightmare films when we were kids and going to rent those tapes and showing up at home with a bag full of them. And then it became the challenge. How many can we get through this weekend? Or you go to your buddy's house for the night. It's like, no, I'm staying up. I'm going to stay up past, like, later than you. And you're talking the whole time. And that's what Joe Bob was. He was an extension of what we were already doing. And the commentary is an extension of what we're already, the the panels of these conventions. That's, there is a constant line of discussion around all of this experience that we don't even realize we're having, but we will sit and talk with people about a movie that we haven't seen for 10 years just because we so love revisiting the impact it had on us or the, the statement it makes or whatever it might be. I just, it's so, it's so endlessly awesome. And, and I fun. I think you'll
2: find your, this, your biggest rewatchability, you know, sort of genre, like we will watch and watch and watch yeah. and watch these films. Whereas maybe like, you know, your drama fans or whatever, they're not going to watch the same film 20 million times, like we're going to watch Sleepaway Camp for the millionth time, you know, because yes. why not? It's a good time.
0: I had it on today. I was editing, and I had it on in the background today, yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, there's always something new, like, to discover with even movies we've seen a lot of times. It's one reason I love horror films and novels as well, but... Yes. And uh, also, I, I just think they, they usually have some kind of insight into things that are going on in society that you don't always see with other genres like Mm -hmm. it uh it just seems kind of perceptive as a reflection of what people are currently afraid of um and then i don't know maybe i'm like a little bit of a masochist because the movies that end up becoming my favorite are the ones that made me extremely uncomfortable or gave me nightmares for years like mike friv and andre's film philosophy of a knife i think that triggered so much in me because it's based on historical events and that's bothered me more than if it just been a a completely original torture film but every time yeah every time i start dreaming in black and white which is not normal for me it's a signal that i'm gonna have some fucking dream about that movie Mm. (laughs) and the, the historical events behind it because the film is mostly in black and white it's like oh damn it another unit 731 film but oh I mean, or another, you know, 731 dream rather, but uh, yeah, even that though, I mean, I'm kind of blessed to get to know the director and we're close friends and I've, you know, worked on some of his projects now, so, and uh, recorded commentary tracks with him for the American um, editions that are coming out of his, all of his previous films, so.
0: That's so cool. Well, think about what that says though, like, it's it's the same thing. (laughs) Like all of all three of us here are investing in unique ways in something that a lot of people like most people can just enjoy a movie and and, you know, have that like uh, see it in the theater and have that great experience and look back on it finally or whatever. But we want to be like there's that extra step of no, we really want to get into this. We really want to investigate this deeper. And then beyond that, to contribute to that, like Erica, like you being in the film, like same thing with you, Candy, as an actress. You're inserting yourself into that world, not just watching it, not just being a, an observer. And that's something I think that's also unique to horror. There are so many people who are like us that want more out of it, a more personal attachment to it and love to explore in ways that aren't as simple as uh, just watching a movie. I mean, there's like that's there's that depth there that I think is really cool.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I always knew since I was a little girl and, you know, stealing my mom's Stephen King books, you know, like I wanted to do something with horror. And I always thought it was going to be writing, but my propensity to run my mouth has found me a, a good yep. home in podcasting. But um, Eric and I have some little other projects that we do um, yes. to try to have fun. And,. Um, you know, just there's so much to do, so so many things that you can do, and and your, your big horror fans, they just they just eat this stuff up, and yeah. they love to contribute and be part of. And people are like, oh my god, I want to be on their show, I want to do this, I want to do this episode, and I'm just like, that episode's been full for like two months, I can't get oh. you in, because there's seven of us, I can only afford maybe two guests, yeah, and that makes nine people, and I'm like, and I gotta run that, so you know, I always want to get people on. But I'm just like, you got to get, you got to move fast because we fill up really fast.
0: What's up um, with the makeup line that you guys are doing? Yeah, um, I got one of them
1: right
2: here. Yeah, that's the uh, Scream Queen collection. The first one is the Final Girl collection. I'm known as Kenny Final Girl. I have a couple different reasons. One, um, I like Erica. I'm naturally a blonde and... Um, my name's Candy, so I would definitely not be the final girl in a movie. So <laughs> I'm kind of Candy the final girl, and plus, you know, just like my real life experiences. So it's got like a double meaning. Yeah. But um, so final girl cosmetics US uh, That's our makeup line, and we do beauty makeup. Like um, I'm wearing a lot of our products right now. we have like cool like eyeliners and I, mascara. We have just like everything, eyeshadow, um, lashes. I got Erica doing lashes now. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, they, and they're all named after scream queens. Got Linnea. Oh, we've got that's amazing. Felisa, we've got Felissa Rose. Actually, has one of those um, on her on their way. Um, we've got so many famous scream queens. Um, Love it. Just um, you know, and we have uh, another palette coming out. Uh, the killer palettes. Uh, we're turning to villains finally. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, so. Got-
1: so yeah, Andy. Oh.
2: Got- the colors <laughs> we did a kind of gin color yes so that's just a little preview but um so we take beauty makeup and we we attribute it to uh horror so we give all these horror names and they're really fun to come up with the names and we you know spend hours on the phone designing and coming up with colors and and so that's just something we're just getting off the ground and having a lot of fun doing and, and it's just really helped our friendship like get deeper it's, it's just been a great thing
0: that's so cool that's amazing and then would then you involve them to have Felissa like I mean in and Andy that's It's the next level, like we're talking about. This is the next level. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. There's a a color name for Darcy the Male Girl, too. Yeah. In the Final Girl palette, the very first
2: palette I did, uh, I did one for Darcy because there's a color because, you know, I put one for myself. I had to do a fuchsia because that's my color. But yeah, the Final Girl collection was the first one I did. And there's a Darcy the Male Girl color that's like this awesome purple glitter. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, love, I, I respect the hell out of Diana Franz. Yeah. I really love her, and I thank her so much for bringing Joe Bob back into the scene, because she was the one responsible for that. So I'm really excited to meet her as well. Um, she's very inspirational to me.
0: And, she was very open on the show, too. I mean, her mm-hmm. openness when she was talking about what she's been through was yeah, awesome. Her, I mean, how you know, powerful and, was that? Yeah,
2: yeah really. and just being a third-wave feminist and, and just her messages, Um, I just really respect her and...
0: Yeah. And seeing what she's gone through with the fan community too, and mm-hmm. how she put how she deals with the the negativity that's been thrown her way, she's it's like superhero level. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, she's she's really remarkable. Yeah,
2: yeah, she's very impressive, and her and I are at the same age. I don't know that for, for me that makes it me feel special. No, but um, so it's like yeah, like we were growing up on the same shit. Like I just feel <laughs> like we have stuff to talk about, and I'm really excited to meet her. Um, like I said, I just can't thank her enough for you know getting Joe Bob back in the scene and um just being who she is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time I, since I was a 16-year-old girl. I've been waiting to meet Joe Bob, and that's been a long time. Yeah. It's been over 20 years, so it's a long time coming.
0: And what a cool story about those letters! And that just speaks volumes about him. And then yeah, about
2: especially like at that time, I was I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, I was very ill, and uh, I didn't know what was going on. I, I wouldn't step foot outside the house, mm-hmm. and I, I started kind of like uh, avoiding. Like, outside, I wouldn't step on the, on, on the porch, even. I wouldn't go out the door. And um, I started having, like, these nervous, like, rashes, and I didn't know what was going on. And they finally diagnosed me with agoraphobia, severe anxiety, which I still take medication to this day. But I would write in. The only thing that made me feel good was taping Monster Vision and watching it over and over again. And Mystery Science Theater 3000.
0: Yeah, um, I noticed that.
2: the show of all time.
0: Yeah. A
2: lot of good Roger Corman B horror on the Well, Z horror on there. But, um... You know, So I would write into the show, and I didn't have a computer, so it was handwritten, and he would handwrite me letters back. So it got me to step outside the house. What my psychiatrist couldn't get me to do was step outside the house and go all the way through the yard to the mailbox, and that was the step of first of many. And it got me going, and I, got, I went and got my driver's license, and I moved on with my life. It's incredible. I, it was really from him writing to me so of course I was going to go out and check the mail like nothing was going to stop me and and handwriting me letters you know it's like
0: are you going to be able to walk in with the letters are you going to be like
2: I don't have them anymore um my first marriage was disastrous and I left with nothing I just walked I, I I basically escaped so I don't have them but the story is is there and it's real yep and um you know, I, I can I can thank him for that because he could do what nobody, no doctor could do. What a he moment! He me to go outside and just go on with my life.
0: You guys have to be filming when that happens. You definitely have I mean, to. I'm
2: like, I'm gonna wear a lot of eye makeup so I don't cry,
0: but oh. I don't think that's
2: gonna help me because I think I'm still gonna cry a little bit. But yeah. I'm gonna try and do like the little dabs, like yeah. I don't want to ruin my eye makeup. <laughs> I'm trying, like that's the only stop gap I have here to keep me from getting emotional.
0: That's going to be so. Good. What, a, what a special moment that's going to be!
2: I've been that's waiting awesome. a long time for it because he just kind of yeah. dropped off for a while, and and yeah. Darcy was able to get him back in, and it's been magical ever since. So, and then this ha- this is thing is happening. Not only do I get to meet Joe Bob and Darcy, but I get to meet all my friends. Yeah, yes. I've made finally the, yeah. <laughs> the last two years um, doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. We've never met in person. We're all over the place, and so that's probably the really the best part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Life has got
2: me through quarantine. Yeah. 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 And, and it was right right at the start of my back injury. So, not only quarantine, but back injury. And so, I was like, I'll just start my podcast. I'll just do that. That's what I'm going to do. And yeah. it's the best friends I have.
0: Yeah. And now your family grew.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We my are family
0: grew three we sizes. We call ourselves that day.
2: family. We're definitely family. <laughs> yeah. well, oh,
0: that's so great.
2: I'm sorry this is your interview and I'm taking it over. I am I we will edit that out.
0: No, we're just talking. It's
2: so no, bad. It's great. It's
0: great. no, this is all this is what we do. This is what the fans are. This is how we I mean we share. Yeah.
2: We love the rawness on the show so we don't edit really heavily but it, we sure. would edit it to your liking if you know we we yeah. want you to feel comfortable with what we put out. So um well, I know,
0: appreciate it, but there's nothing. But
2: we try to keep a rawness to our show, so we edit very little. We like yeah. to keep all the little, you know, awkwardnesses and – is that a word? The most awkward things, and, you know, we keep, uh, you know, us just laughing I- hysterically for five minutes. Uh, <laughs> you know, just complete sidetracks. Side side yeah, we go on sidetracks <laughs> that are so weird. Yeah. So we keep them in there. We want it natural. Keep like it real. Keep raw.
0: Keep it real. That's great. This is what yeah. it made
2: me think of, and let yeah. me go off on that.
0: Yeah. Cool.
2: It's ridiculous. Um,
1: was there anything you want to talk about that we haven't asked about? Because, I mean, we, like, yeah, we yeah. don't want to skip anything that's important to you.
0: Right. No, I appreciate it. No, I. it's just uh, I. we're all three in the same boat. I think that's the point of the conversation. It's not about me. It's about, like, we're just kindred spirits and trying to contribute what we can, how we can. I mean, whether you're mobile or not, whether you're the Midwest or whatever, wherever it isn't, it's like, we're, we're part of, we're just, we're, we're part of this bigger family and this bigger discussion. And that's an honor to have a chance to do. And it's so cool that we have the opportunity through technology for podcasting and things. I, I can't, I admire you guys keeping up with your show and having your schedules so full. I I could not keep up with a podcast at all. I have I've had a show that rant has been running for like five years, and I think I've had like twelve episodes on it or something, thirteen episodes because I just can't keep up with it.
2: I'm so. a harsh mistress. I make the schedule. I did four yeah. shows last week. One of them wasn't. I was guessing on someone else's, but um, yeah. we Eric and I did three shows last week. Oh my yeah, gosh. We did three shows, and so everybody else got off easy with doing like maybe one or two. <laughs> we did three, and so I was like, "Well, I need to take a break before I do that for a yeah. little bit." Uh, it's a little hard on me, but um, yeah, I am pretty harsh at keeping you know the show going. We're in season four, and uh, we don't take breaks because yeah. when we did for the holidays, we were going crazy. Not, I mean, we have a group text where we all talk every day. Oh, sure. All the time. It wasn't enough. Not seeing each other was killing us for those weeks. Yeah. So we would be like sneaking in video calls and <laughs> we did a secret Santa. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, we're, we're very, uh, we're very close and, um, but I do keep us very busy. That's I'll be cool. adding extra shows. I'm like, uh, we're going to do this show too. Uh yeah. this too. Oh, uh, so I'd throw this in.
0: Keep it moving.
2: Definitely. We, keep we keep stay very busy.
0: That's good. That's really good. And your and your contributions to the discussion, I mean, and that the depth that you're going to have in your friendship then, too, that becomes a thread as well. I mean, then people start tuning in. It's not just about the movie that's in the banner, the masthead or whatever you want to call it. It's like they're there for you guys. Then you become the destination. And no matter what you're talking about, I think that's so awesome.
2: That's the most feedback that we ever get is really saying the same thing that, you know, we sound like what they love about us is it sounds like they walked into a, a room with a group of friends just yeah. fucking around talking about a movie that they love. Yeah. And, and they love that feeling because it's not really edited. It's very raw. It's very natural flowing. Um, it's funny. It's serious. It's, you know, reverent to the film or irreverent to the film, you know, just like a real discussion. It feels very natural. It's not very, it's not segmented. Right. Um, and we do a lot of fun things with uh, our intros. <laughs> we always intro every movie with a quote from the film.
0: Yeah. I,
2: I always go first, so I get the pick of the quotes.
0: <laughs> pick a fun one.
2: Yeah, and I get to yeah. review first, so I get so we review very creatively as well. Like a ten out, of, like okay for Sleepaway Camp. Let me think of something funny the um, top of my head. Like ten out of ten. Um, can you come up with one erica like i can't come up with one top of my head
1: oh yeah it, it would have to be like uh you yeah, know like if you go for the rose thing right? 10 out of 10 mangled dicks or something like that
2: Yeah, <laughs> like, that. like we come with these really hilarious like out of 10 and something silly or you know whatever from the movie like, yeah. <laughs> like i like I I would, one yeah, for, a for a thing already planned like-
1: you know, when we, we covered Frank and Hooker recently, he's like someone had like 10 out of 10 exploding crack whores or something.
2: <laughs> I think that was Sean. I think so, yeah.
0: I was thinking about actually today when I had away on, I was thinking about how Joe Bob now, when he calls whenever he calls Phyllis on the show, she just goes, yeah. bangle dicks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I she, love their friendship. It's so cute. Oh, it's adorable.
0: It's so funny. <laughs> totally adorable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She's a sweetheart. Um, she sent me for, you know, uh, like a new year's present. She sent me an autographed picture and it was just really sweet. She's so sweet.
0: I still have one that I got from her <clears throat> years before any of this. I mean, way long ago through, I think it was, she may have had a website of her own at the time, either that, or it was through Jeff Hayes website, the sleepaway camp. And I, I found, I came across it in my parents' attic like two years after we had done the sleepaway camp documentary and blu-ray and all that stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot that I had this. I just took a snapshot of it and sent it to her. And she goes, I still saw that eight by 10 to this day. Like, you know, it's so funny that the, that we, we established relationships with these people like you and Joe Bob, for example, We spend our lives with these things. We spend our lives with these characters and these these actors or writers, directors, whatever your relationship with George Romero. You didn't need to meet him ultimately. No, I didn't. Because you already have that relationship with him. I mean, there's something so unique and untouchable about that. And I think that we all feel that way to a large extent about the things that we care about here. And that's what brings us to the table. That's what makes this show what it is and what I do is such a joy. Is that you know, approaching it with that same love Because that's never going to go away you know?
2: No, it does And that's the beautiful thing Because there's so much in life that's not permanent You know, and that's one of the things That you only learn when you get to a certain age Like yeah. there's so much of life That it just goes by But you can hold on to that You know, your love for this And, and your love for the genre And this is the genre that it is born to live on You know, it's a genre of zombies
0: yeah. I mean, you know and your vampires yeah they just keep coming back it's
2: my zombies like, you know whatever awesome so yeah it's just a gorgeous thing and, and I love I love being able to spend my free time in it
0: yeah
2: and also not my free time in it yeah
0: <laughs> doesn't feel like work when you love it right
2: well yeah that's true I don't really feel like yeah I, I wouldn't call this a job yeah I just call this something I do because I love it. And I think that's why we all do it. That's why we all adhere to my strength schedule because <laughs> yeah. can't miss this episode. Yeah. I have something to say. Right. Like we're about to get into the real meat of some carpenter and we're all super excited.
0: Good. That's awesome. I'm glad he's being celebrated that way. That's good.
2: Well, I wanted to save it up, you know. Season four is just, we've done, we've done in the mouth of badness. We've done, um, we have a lot of upcoming Carpenter episodes,
0: so. Cool. Nice. Plenty to celebrate. He's a great dude. And on that, on that Big Trouble disc, I have a whole feature, an interview with Nick Castle on there. And you're like, Ah. why is Nick Castle on Big Trouble? Well, because of the Coupe de Ville's, which was John's band. That did the Big Trouble theme, and it's with Nick Castle, who played Michael Myers in Halloween, well, through most of the film, and also uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, who directed Halloween Two, and all this, like, there's all these connections, the three of them, in the John Carpenter universe, but they're also a band, and they did that crazy music video for Big Trouble, and I've always been kind of obsessed and hate, love that song and that video, so when I got hired for this, that was one of the first things I wanted to schedule was getting everyone like to talk about the Coupe de Ville's and how this happened. And I got Tommy and Nick both to talk about it on there and share that part of his history. There's just so many side roads with Carpenter that you guys could do sh- episodes forever. And you I know. just touch the surface. There's so much there.
2: Well, he's the last one left, as my friend Rob on the podcast says, he's the last left of the Four Horsemen of Horror. Yeah. So we have to protect him at all costs. We must yeah. celebrate him.
0: Put him in a bubble, Yeah.
2: yeah. And, but uh, yes. yeah, that's I actually exactly said that on one episode when Rob brought that up. But yeah, the Big Trouble song. Oh my God, when I was a kid, it was like my jam. Yeah. When that movie came out, like I was obsessed with that song. Yeah. That that me, that movie me means a lot to me. Like from like young Candy,
0: I love that movie. It's incredible. It's a genre spanning. It's one of a kind. It's it's one of those rare movies you can point to and say there's nothing else like this. Period. Yeah. John nailed it.
2: As he usually does.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Wow. This has been such a fun conversation. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I appreciate absolutely. you guys having me I, on. I was afraid I, I really
2: wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> again, I think we've all done so okay. Course I have something to say. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's been so fun, such a fun conversation. And I yeah. wish you the best with your surgery. And I, I can't wait to hear and see you meeting Joe, Bob, and Darcy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, that's on my calendar now. I, I'm excited for that. You're so good end. luck. Good luck. I hope you can walk into that and not yeah, roll in. I
2: think uh, I'm, it may be limping, but I'm going to be walking.
0: Yeah. Good,
2: good. <laughs> and Erica is playing in, and she's going to road trip with us out there. And so that's, we're going to have a little extra time to hang out. So it's just going to be a real blast. So, yeah, you'll have plenty of house that screams videos to see cool. <laughs> excellent so i feel like we are just bending your ear at this point like i've taken over like i usually do i'm so yeah erica can, can attest i take over everything i can't help it i'm just a bossy person and i talk a lot but um where can we find you? Like, do you have any plugs that where, you know, like um, where we can find you and we'll we will tag them in the uh, when we release the episode?
0: I appreciate that. I, I mean, my website, JustinBeam.com, I try to keep it updated and social media, just my first and last name on t- Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And those, those are the best ways to keep up with announcements about releases and stuff like that. Um, I mean, in terms of plugs, just keep up with Scream Factory, Shop Factory, Paramount. The Paramount Presents line is one that I've been doing a lot of stuff for. There's some really exciting announcements coming up on some big titles and some really cool projects that I'm super thrilled about. So, yeah, I guess just follow me on that social media and that'll be the best way to stay in touch. And if anybody ever wants to touch base, just reach out if you have questions about an interview you saw or... A release, and why is someone on this, or why weren't they, or whatever? Just hit me up. I love having the same kind of conversations that we're having tonight. Just love it.
2: Awesome. Um, you'll be getting a follow from the House that Screams on Twitter. Uh, I run all of our social media, so that's me. But I kind of represent everybody, so um, so expect that.
0: Your twentieth <laughs> hat that you have to put on, right? You're the. <laughs> I,
2: <explained it. laughs> I to Stay busy. Oh, and uh,
1: by the way, Andrew says hi. To
0: you. Oh, I, mean, I, I, we're so long overdue for catching up, he and I. Mm-hmm. And I, last time I talked to him, he was, it was, he was like knee deep in the brewery stuff and He's some zoning so thing.
1: Yeah. Like up to here deep, oh. you know. <laughs>
0: well, is it, is it off and running? Is it?
1: Yeah. Um, we're okay. open, um, selling, uh, beer and food on site. Um, and we just uh, launched a fundraiser. Um, I, I needed a couple more things from him before I started promoting it heavily. But despite me not promoting it yet, there's like $500 in donations already. So oh, that's cool. Um, basically, just to there's a little COVID relief for the brewery as part of the fundraiser. But the other half goes to five different charities.
0: Wonderful. That's great. So so does the zoning stuff was figured out? I take yeah. it. Uh, yes, okay.
1: definitely, yeah, we had to kind of. But we, there is like a beer attorney that you know we talk to when we need help with that kind of thing, but basically, mm-hmm. we just had to realize the county's not going to rezone this to be a bar, so it's going to have food and that will.
0: Oh, know, I rest- see, okay, got be
1: it zoned as a restaurant, basically, how that area is currently zoned. So,
0: yeah, oh, well, I can't wait to get worked up there and that, check it out. Yeah,
1: I think that's worked out better anyway because people love the food that's being um, cooked there, like they, they do a lot of barbecue. There's like, um. Uh, chili there's some like vegetarian options so uh, yeah it's uh, been been going pretty well it's just like yeah COVID kind of kicked our asses a little bit with the restrictions like but yeah even even through COVID I think the outdoor seating that that was ultimately allowed was fine
0: good that's good yeah (laughs) I I need to please send my love to him too I mean I miss the hell out of him and I owe him a phone call for sure. We need to Mm -hmm. get caught up. So tell him that'll be very soon in the coming.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I definitely will.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a total treat. And when these next round of announcements are up, if you ever want to chat again, I would love to pop in once in a while and bring you up to speed on some things because there's some cool stuff in queue.
2: Great. Fantastic.
0: I appreciate the support. Really do.
2: Yeah. Thank you so so much uh, for. For joining us and it's just, it's been really really great this yeah has been great. usually our interviews don't go on this long but i'm like man like we just we just really clicked and i, I really enjoy <laughs> I that sometimes yeah. interviews can be a little yeah, <laughs> dicey but this was this is a really like you said it was a
0: treat that's yeah, a comfortable space you guys are awesome thank you so much and erica great to see you again
1: great to see you too it's
0: been okay <laughs> have a good night
1: okay you too you take care <laughs>